Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. As the Bucks are now in their first legitimate rough patch of the season, they go down today in a wild one in Phoenix, 140, 131. It's the second time, uh, only the first time, sorry, they've lost back to back games this season, coincidentally. They lost back-to-back games for the first time last season on game 64, which was the same as today, in Phoenix. So I don't know. Maybe they want to avoid uh, traveling to to Arizona in March uh, moving forward. I'm not so sure. But ultimately, outside of the result of this game, I would have to say, as far as good news goes, we got some relative good news, it would appear, when it comes to Giannis' knee. Uh, Last time I spoke to you guys was, was after the Lakers game, and there was some real... Uh, concern about that and 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 we didn't know what the result of this knee injury was going to be i know there was a, a pretty a, i would say a uh extreme level of anxiety i saw from from bucks fans over the last 24 hours but it's been diagnosed with a knee capsule sprain now my google research of that frank tells me that this is not something overly serious but i did just track down a tweet from dr rajpal bra I'm probably not saying that correctly, but he says knee capsule equals, equals fibrous connective tissue that surrounds the knee, uh, surrounds the knee joint with multiple other pieces of anatomy, being ligaments, tendons, and the like. Isolated capsule sprain is very rare, but seems to be the case here. I'd expect him back Saturday at worst, which, uh, all things considered, this is a pretty damn good result. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, back and forth a little bit on this because uh you know like thinking about just the totality of the weekend you know if you told me that on sunday we would be talking about you know the results of a Giannis mri and and two straight losses i would have said well that's just a complete disaster of a weekend um so on the one hand you know given that you know as bucks fans we've been completely spoiled by Giannis's complete lack of of you know real injuries i mean he's in year seven and what he's never missed more than I think two straight games or something, two, three straight games. Um, and obviously there's been some knee soreness, there's been ankle turns. Um, but as, as far as, you know, like injuries that looked like they could be long-term injuries, you know, we obviously got our share of it with Jabari Parker. Um, but we haven't really had that with Giannis. And I mean, fortunately on Friday, even, um, you know, he bounced ba- bounced up and stayed in the game. And uh, I think that like really tough, baseline fadeaway came after he uh had yeah. hurt the knee you know and he, he drew a couple more uh, another foul after the knee injury as well so i mean you know again like could he have been doing that if he had torn his acl no i don't you know like i mean yes you can i mean as as we were discussing uh on dms um you know as as you were saying it is possible to run around with without a a, a, a functional acl I always remember Harrison Ford like tore his ACLs and just like went his entire like adult life without 
out any ACLs. Yeah. But to be Giannis Adetokounmpo, doing what Giannis Adetokounmpo does, um, you know, I, 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 to be honest, not until like really after the game that I think that, oh, hey, hmm, could that have been something serious? I, I don't, again, like I, I wasn't expecting anything bad, but um, I, I mean, again, like as you said, I think Bud said it before the game, like it's pretty good news, Grant, you know, in the grand scheme of, of, of downside scenarios, you know, it could have been some other partial tear of maybe not ACL, but, you know, could he have had meniscus damage and have played through it? You know, who knows, right? So, um, again, especially as we're late and getting late in the season here, you know, as we saw last year, there was the Brogdon injury, there was the Miritich injury pretty late in the year. Um, it's scary when you have pretty good injury health and then, you know, late in the season, you just get sucker punched by something. So nothing obviously could be worse than Giannis missing extended period with a knee injury. And, um, you know, certainly it's, it's, it's a strange injury in the sense that, um, I, I had never heard the term joint capsule used to describe a knee injury before. And I feel like I have read tons and tons about knee injuries as a, as a Bucks fan and as an NBA fan, as a person who's had to write about, you know, random injuries, I'm obviously not a doctor, but, um, I, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, the, the, you know, I think normally when these things, when, when you have this injury, it's kind of obscured by the fact that a bunch of other stuff gets yeah. torn and so they don't talk about it. So, you know, um, in streetclothes.com, Jeff Stotts, um, keeps basically this huge database of injuries. And, you know, I think the only other example of this where it was just this type of injury that he had was when Rudy Gay missed four days with, um, I think uh, 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 he had sort of a, a lateral, I guess, a lateral uh, joint capsule issue, um, but no other like real structural damage. So obviously you would gladly take um, that level of, um, you know, missing time, right? Um, given that the Bucks do have a couple of days off here in the middle of the week and obviously long-term and all that matters is, is Giannis' health. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the grand scheme of injuries, obviously if, if you tell me that, you know, Giannis is um, – biggest injury worry this year would be, you know, a non-structural kind of no damage to ligaments type knee injury that keeps them out, you know, a few days, I would say, okay, I, I can live with that. Um, but obviously coming on top of a loss in LA and then another loss on Sunday and potentially two more losses here coming up. If you honest, obviously he's not going to be back for Denver, which is a really tough game without him on a back to back and then Boston coming in on Thursday, they've been having some struggles too, but um, you know, grand scheme of things, this is a, probably the, the toughest patch that you can say the Bucks have been in as, as you were alluding to. But um, certainly if you look at it from the macro view, uh, yes, I totally agree. It, it could be much worse. And again, nothing is as important as obviously Giannis just getting right and getting ready for, for that stretch run. When you start your hiring process, you may have questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know if you made the right hire? Indeed is here to help. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help create your short list of applicants fast. Also, add a skills test to your job post so you can be confident in your applicants' abilities. Their library of more than 50 skills tests ranges from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at indeed.com slash locked on and get the free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's indeed.com slash locked on. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Offer valid through March 31, 2020. 
Yes, I mean, all this ties back into, uh, I guess, uh, from, a, from a wider picture, I, I know that you, you tweeted this, Frank, in, in terms of looking at the standings. And uh, as you mentioned, obviously, uh, tonight, I guess, when people are listening to this, this game against Denver is going to be an extremely tough one to get. Uh, you go on the road anytime in that building, it's difficult to pick up a win. Obviously, last season, the game that everyone remembers and, and I sort of um, mentioned or, or joked about after the game, it was the birthplace of Splash Mountain where Brooke Lopez hit eight threes. But that uh, in isolation right now without Giannis and the fact that uh, we are going to get to this Phoenix Suns game in a little bit here, but the fact that some guys had to really exert uh, a whole lot of energy in this, in this Suns game trying to come back from behind, that one... Is, is probably almost going to be penciled in as a loss. I mean, you'll you never rule out this Bucks team, but without Giannis, that's going to be difficult. Uh, the Bucks have said that Giannis will be re-evaluated prior to the game against uh, Boston on Thursday, as you sort of pointed to. There's a few days off in between here, so there is certainly a chance that uh, Giannis will play in this one, although I would, I would bet and I would imagine that the Bucks are going to be... Uh, or on the side of caution, let's just say that. The interesting thing to note is Giannis has never missed more than two games in a row when you talk about how fortunate Bucks fans have been and the Bucks in general have been with his health. Uh, if he misses that Boston game, it would be the first time in his career he's missed three games uh, in a row, which is uh, obviously in this day and age uh, with the amount of injuries we see around the league and, and the way that he plays, like let's be honest, the way that he plays, the way he crashes into guys, the physicality that he plays with, it, he, he has had a remarkably healthy run to this point so while this was a scare uh this is still uncharted territory for the bucks but if you consider that the bucks are going to have a difficult game tomorrow against denver obviously thursday night in boston this is getting back to the point that you made the bucks have an eight game lead still at the top of the east with only 18 games to play they're not going to give up the number one seed in the East. They're going to win enough games there that the number one seed and home court advantage through the Eastern Conference playoffs is going to be secured. The interesting team to watch now, and this is why that, that game against the Lakers was uh, a kind of a big swing game. You just thought if the Bucs could manage to get that one at Staples Center, the Lakers weren't going to be able to catch them. Now it's kind of interesting. If the Bucs do go ahead and lose the next uh, two games, uh, there's, there's certainly a chance that they will be uh, tied in the loss column. Lakers 49 and 13 right now, uh, and the Bucks are 53 and 11. So there's only a two-game gap in the loss column as we speak, as we record this podcast. So uh, there's a chance that, that things could get really interesting here uh, down the stretch in, in the battle for who would potentially have game one of the NBA Finals at home uh, if it gets to that point. Yeah, and I mean, look, the Lakers, obviously, um, I don't know how much the Lakers will value going for the number one overall seed. I think, um, you know, LeBron's history would suggest that I don't think LeBron is, is necessarily that worried about having sure. court in the finals. Um, and the Lakers also, I mean, they don't have a, a cupcake schedule coming up. They've got uh, the Nets on Tuesday. I don't know what that's going to mean in the post in the post Kenny Atkinson world if they'll get you know, the dead cat bounce or, or whatever um, thing effect there. Um, but then they host the Rockets, then they host the Nuggets, then they play in Utah, then they host Utah in the four games thereafter. So pretty tough stretch uh, there with some, obviously some very good teams out West that they'll be hosting. So again, I mean, it's not like you expect the Lakers necessarily run the table, um, but absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I think I would view it as motivation to, to try to lock up um, the number one kind of overall seed in, in the, you know, the entire league, even if 
Um, obviously, the, the lead atop the uh, East is, is still pretty comfortable. Um, and, and again, I mean, you can, you can say, hey, if you're the, you know, um, peak Warriors, do you worry about having home court? If you're peak LeBron, do you worry about having home court? Probably not. Um, but I think with this Bucks team, as much as they've been steamrolling everybody this season and, you know, their resume sort of speaks for itself, um, you know, do I, would I, would I prefer to have home court advantage in a potential game seven of the finals? Yeah, I, I would. <laughs> yes, please give, give me home court if, uh, if that's an option. So, um, you know, we'll see. I think certainly if the Lakers, um, you know, obviously if you can win at least one of these next two games between Denver and Boston and, you know, obviously Giannis coming back would help the Boston story a lot. Uh, and that game is at home. So you get Boston and the Warriors, um, on uh, Thursday and Saturday uh, at Fiserv. So obviously coming home makes you feel a little bit better about things as well. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, uh, is it the thing you should be worrying about? No. I mean, again, in the short term, you know, you're worried about beating Denver on Monday night or at least trying to. And I mean, Hey, Denver was down. I don't know how many guys, but Jamal Murray, Paul Millsap, yeah. and a few other guys were out when they came into Fiserv on the second of the back to back and laid it to the Bucks and hit every shot they seemingly took. Um, so, I mean, that game alone proves that I mean, these things can happen. So I don't want to count the Bucks out, um, even without Giannis. We saw tonight, I mean, their offense has been struggling of late. And tonight, of course, they break out of it in a major way and only for their defense to betray them in Phoenix. But, um, but yeah, I mean, again, I think, um, I think you can put a stick of fork in 70 wins. You know, I think, again, are the Bucks. Um, going to be able to go through the remainder of the season with only one more loss? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think there's too many games left. Um, they've got you know uh, three three road games in a row in Toronto, Philly, and Boston as well uh, coming up uh, towards the end of the season. So I think too many difficult games coming up in order to really seriously consider the 70 win mark anymore, which, you know, whatever, that's fine. I'm not worried about that. But, um, you know, if you told me, I don't care how many games you win that you do end up with the league's best record. Um, I think that's something that, that I would certainly prioritize. And also just selfishly as a Bucks fan, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to see the deluge of LeBron MVP kind of discussion stuff this week. Um, you know, I was rooting for the Clippers to beat the Lakers just to like dull the like Laker fever a little bit. Um, and fortunately LeBron didn't like go, um, you know, uh, crazy in that game. Uh, it was kind of the Anthony Davis that, that was kind of the bigger offensive star in that game. But, um, you know, look like it's going to be pretty annoying probably as Bucks fans to listen to some of the, <laughs> the dialogue this week. Like, you know, Giannis has lost, gone from the runaway MVP favorite to, um, LeBron is coming for him, you know, in two games. Right. But, um, who knows? Right. But I will say this, I mean, if the Lakers, somehow did manage to, to nip the Bucks to the best record in the league. Um, I don't know. I don't know what that would mean for Giannis's MVP candidacy. I think all the metrics would still say he's the MVP, um, but we know how things go with the media and narratives. And, you know, again, so much of, I think, you know, the starting point for Giannis's um, argument is he's the best player on the best team, putting up the best overall numbers. So he's still going to have the best overall numbers. Um, he's still going to be the best player on the Bucks, but if he doesn't have the best team, then I think that really blunts um, the argument for probably a lot of like you know of media voters out there, right? Who obviously have a long history of of uh, of being very uh, you know. Well, I'll say this: LeBron probably has missed out on some MVPs that that he might have deserved uh, in the strictest sense of the word. So um, I don't know. We'll see. You, you, I wouldn't be shocked at all if if the Lakers did 
somehow get that um, that best record. Like that, LeBron could could uh, as it were maybe steal steal an MVP from Giannis. But again, no, that's not really the top of my list of concerns right now. It's really just hey, let's get Giannis back on the court healthy, and then you know let's let's look good, play good basketball down down the stretch. Um, because certainly you know the last last few days, and to go back to Miami um, a week ago. Obviously, uh, the Bucks have left some things to be desired here over these past uh, these past few days. Yeah, and, and maybe this is a good time for me to uh, complain about the NBA awards night, as I will take any opportunity to do. Because you said right now it's not in the top of your list of concerns or things you're worried about. Well, it's uh, it's never going to be through the through the playoffs and uh, as the Bucks uh, attempt to to reach the NBA Finals and maybe win a, a championship, you're not going to know who wins the MVP until after that anyway. So it, it's kind of a a, a strange situation that that continues to occur but it is one of those things i mean uh this is something i spoke about after the lakers game i personally don't give a stuff about 70 wins it would have been fun but ultimately you want to see this team win in the playoffs so uh if Giannis has a couple of games off here and 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 gets himself right and, and comes back healthy then then that's all you're really worried about but this game against phoenix today was a wild one the bucks give up 47 points in the first quarter they find themselves down by as many as 25 points. They actually never have the lead in this game. And uh, it, was, it was the same old story that we've seen a lot, Frank, where the Suns, particularly in the first half, could not miss. They finish the game with a season high or equal season high, 19 made threes. They shoot 44% from three. Devin Booker was incredible in the first half. Uh, Aaron Baines just had, an, had another big night. I mean, that guy continues to knock down threes, but it was tough defensively for the Bucks. We saw them try a, a number of different things. They went into different variations of zone defense there for a while. They were trying to trap Booker. They even played a, a box end one, which I can't really remember the Bucks going to too often with Wesley Matthews as the uh, prime defender on Devin Booker. Uh, none of it really worked. And, and while... You, you sort of mentioned the fact that the Bucs were able to break out of their offensive slump that, that has been real for the last three or four games. Uh, it, they just weren't able to get the stops that they needed to, to get over the hump in this one. There was a couple of costly turnovers uh, in the fourth quarter when they were really trying to make a run. They got back to within six points. But if we are going to, and we can, we can, get into, we can go any direction you want with this, but if, if we are going to talk about any positives from this game, Chris Milton, 39 points, and I think more important than anything was the fact that he was able to break through uh, from this mini slump that he's been having since he came back uh, from uh, having that neck soreness and missing two games. He started this one 0 for 7 and just could not hit anything. And I think the second that all of us started to tweet, well, Chris Milton actually is in a little bit of a slump here. He could hardly miss. He finishes 13 for 19 from that point out. And uh, as I said, uh, 39 points and, and just some really tough shots, some classic Chris Milton offense, really. I mean, he was the driving force for this team. The 26 field goal attempts is just two off a, uh, a, a career high for him. And the other guy, Eric Bledsoe, 28 points, seven assists. Uh, he had only three turnovers in the night. And this is one of the strange things for me when I think about Eric Bledsoe. We see him go through these nights where he's so passive. He doesn't look like he's going to score. He doesn't look to be aggressive. He's just taking a backseat in the offense, jacking up the occasional three. When Giannis doesn't play, and I don't know how you try and bring this in or bring this out of him on a nightly basis, but anytime Giannis doesn't, seem to, uh, doesn't play, Bledsoe goes to another level. He's averaging high 20s, 
points per game when Giannis isn't in the lineup. Now, naturally, he's going to take a little bit of a back seat, but this version of Eric Bledsoe, and sure, it was the Phoenix Suns, not a, a defensive powerhouse. Uh, that is the Eric Bledsoe you want to see more often in these big games when the Bucks need him to stand up. Yeah, I mean, first off, Chris Middleton has had 18 first quarter points after missing his first seven shots. <laughs> Some, somebody get Elias Sportsbeer on the phone. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even know how that's possible. I mean, that's a crazy, crazy stat. He was getting to the line a bunch, which helped yeah. him maybe settle down a little bit early um, and then hit those five shots in a row to end the period, which, which obviously was a relief just given, you know, as you said, I, I was, it was just really frustrating. You think about, um, you know, he kind of out of nowhere comes up with that sore neck and you're just like, what sore neck, you know, and misses two games comes back actually looked pretty good early in my in the Miami game and then yeah. just completely fell off and just missed everything uh, in the last three quarters basically and played well against Indiana was hitting shots in that game but then obviously um a, a really poor night in in LA um you know which was I mean Bledsoe and Middleton not showing up I mean that's you know exhibit a for, for why the Bucks lost that game right I mean if those guys do anything with Bledsoe is probably more the issue of just him just being passive and just not knowing how to engage himself in that game, making some poor decisions. I mean, we saw tonight as well, especially I think in the first half, there were a couple shots he took, like long two, no pass, early clock shot. Um, and I just think in the late fourth quarter, Giannis took an early clock three. I think they were down like eight or something with a few minutes left. Mrs. Appletso comes down, you know, tries to probe a little bit, then without a single pass, steps back, shoots three, which predictably misses because – he wasn't playing well, and he's not a great three-point shooter anyway. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, with Blood, so he's had a rough – he'd had a rough week or so going back to when he kind of was you know, supposedly under the weather a little bit. And um, so to see him – obviously, you're always happy for him to play well in Phoenix, you know, coming uh, – given given the kind of backstory there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a great start for him tonight either. And for him to get kind of in the flow of the game, and, you know, he really took advantage of kind of his – physical advantages and his ability to get to the rim repeatedly tonight. Um, so yeah, it was definitely good to see him stepping up 35 minutes for Eric blood. So that's obviously much more than we're used to seeing him play, even with George Hill, thankfully um, back in the, in the lineup from uh, you know, one of the worst groin kickings, I guess ever uh, given that he missed almost a week <laughs> with, uh, with getting that needed the groin from Goran Dragic last Monday. Um, not much to speak of from, from Hill, just one out of five, but um, Bledsoe obviously playing, uh, pu- putting up efficient scoring was, was obviously big. Only, only hit two out of five free throws, which was uncharacteristic given that he shot well. But um, yeah, you certainly at least felt good that, you know, after a week of the Bucks offense struggling in large part because it's been sort of Giannis in the cloud of dust, um, to see Middleton and Bledsoe do kind of what they've been doing all season really is just, you know, step up when, with Giannis out. Obviously, that's encouraging. And, you know, Chris actually dropped just below 50% from the field. Uh, in on Friday. So he was 13 out of set 26 tonight. He's going to have to rekindle that, uh, you know, and fuego magic that he's yeah. had for a couple months now to get back into that 50, 40, 90 discussion. Cause again, just the, the types of shots he takes, I mean, it's shoot to shoot 50% from the field. Um, which again, it's, you know, kind of just a random stat at the end of the day, right? 50, 40, 90, right. I like to look more like twos and, and threes as separate sort of, you know, shooting percentages, but, um, Obviously, it would be cool for him to do it, but it's hard, you know, especially given that he takes lots of threes and takes so many jump shots. Um, but uh, again, tonight, I thought credit to him for, you know, sticking with it and not letting that really tough start, you know, really kind of derail him, especially given that, you know, again, 
I mean, these guys are all humans. They're pros, but they're also humans. You know, you do worry a little bit, like, do, do guys, does guys' confidence wane a bit? But um, thankfully, you got it going a little bit. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, you know, Buck's offense has been in, the rut, in a rut for, you know, kind of a week or so. Um, and the defense has really kind of kept them alive. And so, of course, the one night when the offense really kind of gets loose, you know, 125 offensive rating, 66 points in the paint tonight. Um, you wouldn't have noticed from that that Giannis was, was out. Uh, but unfortunately, defensive end, uh, it was very obvious that they were missing a defensive player of the year candidate. And, you know, Booker, 28 first half points. As you were alluding to, they threw everything at him in the second half. He just scores just eight points in the second half. But um, tons of help. Ricky Rubio, 25, 13, and 13. Aaron Baines, 24 points on 16 shots, including four out of 11 from three. Mikael Bridges, 21 points on 13 shots. Just too much support from that. Uh, those other guys. And again, when you you know throw uh, throw zones and traps and uh, and box and ones at at a guy like Booker, you're daring the other guys to beat you. And tonight, you know, ultimately they did, and and they did that from the opening you know, opening tip. I mean, it was what nine nothing right out of the gate, and they shot I think 78 percent or something in the first quarter. They had a 182 offensive rating in the first quarter, and some of that is you know the defense not being up to snuff, and some of it's just you know Phoenix hitting shots. And obviously, you know, you just, it just never got to the point where the Bucks could get over that hump. I think they got it down to six a few times. But, um, you know, as we've seen this season, when the Bucks get down big, um, you know, especially in, in second halves, like I, I just don't really have much confidence when they're, when they're having like one of those games that they're ever going to, like, pull off a big comeback. I mean, I think the Houston game, I was asking people on Twitter, Houston, they were down nine going to the fourth quarter. I can't really think of another game where they had – really any type of substantive comeback when um, I think some of that also is just, I, I don't know. Well, I actually have a question about that, but let me, let me pause there um, to kind of get your thoughts. Cause certainly the offense silver lining led by Milton and Bledsoe, but the defense woof. Yeah. I mean, just, just on, on the offense before we, we do talk a, a little bit more uh, about the defense. One number that's interesting with Chris Milton, when I look at him, uh, we, we talk about this last little sort of week since he's, he's came back from the next soreness. Uh, his three-point attempts per game this season are actually down from 6.2 last year to 5.7 this year. Now, uh, this was uh, you know, a little bit to do with the fact that he is, he is playing slightly less. Uh, and obviously the 0.5 of a three-point attempt is, is not a big deal. But it has been interesting in these games since he came back. Two for 10 from three against Miami. Two for 10 from three against LA. Uh, today, uh, three for 10. Prior to this uh, little stretch here over the last week, Milton had only taken 10 or more threes in three games for the entire season. Now he's done this in three of the last four games. And, and I do wonder a little bit whether this has just been Chris saying, well, okay, uh, my shot isn't quite uh, going for me. What am I going to do? I'm going to look to these these looks that have been money for me all season, whether it's uh, the pull-up three and transition we always talk about. I mean, that's a, that's a shot that he loves, whether it's dribbling the ball uh, back out once he gets a mismatch and firing up a three there. Uh, we're just seeing him out on the perimeter a little bit more. I also think part of this is going to be, and this is what he's going to see in the playoffs, I don't think teams are going to let him go one-on-one in, in post-up situations with his back to the basket. He's just too good. The numbers I was looking at yesterday, 58% uh, before today this was on turnaround fadeaway shots. I mean, it's just absurd. So I think that this is something that's going to be interesting to watch moving forward with the Bucks. the way guys play uh, Giannis. We know they're going to throw multiple bodies at him. They're going to try and build that wall. But I also think 
uh, you're going to see double teams on Chris Milton in the post because the teams aren't just going to let this guy cook them uh, with turnaround jump shots all night long. So uh, that, that'll be something to watch his three-point attempts as the season winds down. But certainly defensively, uh, I don't know. I mean, we, we talk about this all the time. We know that the three-point shot, uh, just by nature of the Bucks' offense and their unwillingness to give up anything in the paint or, or vary from what they're trying to do. Now, tonight, Phoenix scored 42 points in the paint, which is a little bit over what the Bucks are, are averaging uh, per game or what the opposition is averaging per game against the Bucks. But it's still not a massive number. And I, and I just I have a bunch of people ask me all the time, well, well why aren't the Bucks going to change? What are they going to do differently? Now, if the Bucks are or do make a conscious decision to defend the three-point line more, particularly when Brook Lopez is on the floor as the guy that is the, the, one of the best rim protectors in the league and the guy that really drops back in that scheme that we know, then they're probably going to give up more at the paint and they're going to uh, uh, put Brook in, a, in, a, in positions that don't sort of favor his skill set as much as what this uh, number one ranked defense has done. The other thing that you might see is maybe the Bucs will go with different lineups and they might go small. Now, we saw tonight, uh, today, sorry, against Phoenix, a bunch of lineups, and even down the stretch when Milwaukee was trying to make the comeback, with the, uh, Marvin Williams was actually playing the five. Now, it's not quite, it doesn't quite put the same fear into the opposition as Giannis at the five does, but it was interesting that, again, when the Bucs were getting cooked uh, from the outside, Bud did go uh, pretty small. And that, was, that, that even included when, when Aaron Baines was on the floor. So, uh, Marvin Williams tonight, he it, it doesn't start, but he plays 25 minutes and was uh, plus 11 on the box score in a game where the Bucks really got blown out. Now, Bud went with Ersan Uisover in the starting lineup. He was largely ineffective. He didn't really, really do anything. He didn't even get a shot up in his 15 minutes. I, I think that this is Bud saying, well, I want Marvin Williams to play with the second unit. We know we've seen this before. He refuses to start George Hill, even when Eric Bledsoe was out. George Hill remained in the second unit. So I think that that's what it is. But every time I watch Marvin Williams play and what he brings to this team defensively, offensively, you know, I mean, he's not having a huge impact, but he's a guy defensively that's more versatile. And I just think even tonight, it was so obvious how much of an upgrade this probably has been over Ersan. And maybe Ersan's just going through a rough patch at the moment as well. But uh, anytime those two are on the floor, one after the other, it's, it's a very noticeable difference. And, and while the Bucks lost the game tonight, uh, I still think that that's, a positive thing that Marvin's came in and been able to to have this kind of impact because he's a guy that they're going to need in in the playoffs. There's no question. Yeah, I mean, it, it's fascinating with Urson. I mean, he didn't even take a shot tonight in 15 yeah. minutes. Um, is um, you know Phoenix also? I mean, let's be honest. Phoenix was missing some people. I mean, among others, yeah, yeah. Kelly Oubre and DeAndre Ayton not playing tonight. So it's not like you know, oh, no Giannis and full strength Suns. I mean, the Suns were missing people too. Uh, again, obviously, no, Jan, no, not a Giannis level person that they're missing. Um, closest there would be like if Booker was out, and obviously that wasn't the case. But um, yeah, I mean, Ursan's played 29 minutes between the Phoenix and Miami games over the past week, and he hasn't made a shot. And tonight, he didn't even take a shot. I mean, it's it's just kind of strange. Um, it, he just looks like I don't know. Like it's kind of amazing that up until what like a month ago we were assuming like yeah yeah I guess Ursan's just the backup four, and you know hopefully that doesn't come back to bite the bucks in the playoffs i mean like now you just see him run around and then you compare that to marvin who yeah you know i mean marvin had a couple possessions where he like defended booker pretty well you know i mean and and we saw him like you know put in an honest effort against lebron and, and even ad who obviously is like probably too big for him but 
Um, you know, it's, it's crazy how much defensive versatility Marvin has relative to Ursan, who obviously just from a foot speed perspective is just, you know, he's just going to get exposed. And, you know, the fact that Ursan isn't really even getting into those like spots where he just randomly cuts off the ball or gets an offensive rebound. He, he just, nothing's going for him right now. Um, which is just kind of, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. You know, he just, um, he just doesn't seem to be anywhere close to even the guy that we saw uh, early in the season. So, um, I mean, yeah, put, you know, let's be careful with Marvin Williams. I don't want to, you don't want to lose him as well, given um, how much uh, of, I think a boost that he's gotten. And um, yeah, so, so I think positive, certainly that, that Marvin obviously continues to be a useful option, but certainly tonight, you know, seeing Ursan out there and just start seeing him kind of just struggle to find any type of rhythm, you know, he's obviously also a guy who just isn't used to just, I mean, since he's been here again, um, I mean, he plays pretty much every night, right? Like to, to be sitting multiple games in a row and then being thrown into the starting five, obviously that's not, maybe not easy either. And he certainly just hasn't looked prepared for, for that at all. So, um, yeah. And one guy we, I don't think we've mentioned him yet. Um, that's yeah. 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 Um, Incredible. 17 points or 16 points on 11 shots tonight, seven rebounds, four assists, two steals. Um, I don't know, Kane. You you know uh, rugby, Australian rules, football, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, I, I was, there was one point tonight where you know Dante just like always comes out of scrum to the ball. You know, just just for some reason, yeah. loose ball deflection. So the ball just always finds its way to him. And I, I don't know. I feel like in there's there's got to be some some sports, uh, random other sports that I don't know as well, but like rugby, I feel like that would be a valuable skill to have in rugby <laughs> in addition to being really fast uh, and elusive. But um, yeah, I mean, he, he has been, you look at his numbers, uh, 17 points on, he, he's at 50% or better four straight games going back in order, 16 points, seven rebounds, four assists tonight, 17 points, four assists, a block uh, against the Lakers, 19 points, seven rebounds, three assists against the Pacers, 11 points, five rebounds, three assists uh, in the loss to Miami. Had some plays where he, I mean, a, a play where he just like went at Jimmy Butler. Do you remember that play where he just drove right down the court and just went yeah, right at yeah, Jimmy yeah. Butler and scored on him? Um, he did blow a layup late in this game. Um, but, you know, I don't know. He just has looked really confident, super engaged on both ends. And, you know, we talk a lot about George Hill being kind of like the Bledsoe insurance. But I think, um, you know, Dante, I, I was thinking about it tonight. I mean, Dante... You know, his history, again, obviously we haven't seen him in an NBA playoffs, but I mean, we're talking about a guy who you know, literally was the most outstanding player of a Final Four winning a championship in, high, in college. Um, we've seen him step up big time in some of these big games, you know, even like this Laker game being the latest example of it. Um, you know, I, I, let, let me just say this, you know, Eric Bledsoe, obviously good night tonight, but I still have major reservations about where, whether Bled is going to be a guy that we're going to be able to rely on. Um, you know, to, to come up with big performances for the Bucks when they're matter the most in the playoffs. And, um, you know, I, I definitely feel better knowing not only that you've got George Hill, obviously has had a great season, but Alte Dante, also Dante DiVincenzo, who, you know, again, he's not a point guard um, in the same way that you guys want, you know, handing the ball late in crunch time maybe, but um, just as far as another guy who brings that great defensive energy can guard both backcourt spots and, you know, just his combination of, you know, he's been shooting the ball better of late. And he's been obviously just doing all the kind of, you know, havoc wreaking that he normally does. Um, you know, big credit to him. He, he you know, again, I mean, to, to think back last time, you know, before, before you joined the podcast, I mean, Eric and I were just so spooked that 
where the hell is Dante, right? The whole secret Dante, you know, like, <laughs> what's going on? Like, he's not in summer league. Like nobody's seen him play for how long? Um, and for him to just, you know, play at this level all season and, you know, here we're getting late in the season, right? He's never played this many games before. For him to keep playing at this level, I think is really, a, a, you know, a major positive. And he gets 29 minutes tonight. And, you know, you just think about that bench. You mentioned Marvin, but, you know, you put Marvin, Hill, DiVincenzo, that group of three, I mean, I feel really good that that group, um, again, they're not going to get matchuped out of any game, right? Like they're going to play every game there's no lineups where you're not going to be able to play those guys given their versatility on defense. Uh, and you just feel really good that you've got, you know, at least those three that, that you, you know, typically count on night in and night out, even if maybe they're not shooting great um, to be kind of two way presences. And um, you know, then I think the question is, okay, beyond that, right? Like Kyle Corver comes, comes out plays tonight, nine points, three out of four threes. Uh, he was a plus six. So again, they, you know, as far as where the problems were, it was not with Corver on the floor. I think, you know, Rondo, who's had lots of issues, exploited him um, pretty badly at times. Crusoe, I think, won as well on Friday. So, I mean, that was kind of the, the, the example of, you know, teams being able to hunt Kyle Corver when he's on the floor. I'm, I'm definitely not sold on Corver as, you know, a guy that you can keep on the floor in the playoffs night in and night out. But um, you know, those other three guys, I think certainly you feel, you feel very good about them. And um, Dante in particular at his age to, you know, be playing the way he is and playing better and better as the year goes on. It's, it's really fun. Yeah. Just a, a couple of uh, numbers on Dante to, just to show, I, I guess the improvement that we're seeing and, and the continued improvement, which is, as you pointed to, uh, one of the things that I wondered were how he was going to go in the back end of the season, just with the fatigue and, and really the grind of his first full NBA season to this point, as you said, I mean, he's already more than doubled uh, the games he was able to take part in last season. But double digit scoring for him, only three games in double digits last year. Now, yeah, I mean, obviously, he only played the 27 games. But this season now, 29 games in double digit scoring, 30 uh, in, in single digits. And it feels like this is just becoming a consistent thing now. And the other thing that we always talk about with him, he's finishing at the rim. It's up to 66%. Uh, field goal percentage at the rim. So, I mean, this is something that that is very, very easily uh, that you can very easily see improving. I mean, this is his finishing. You, you mentioned the one with Butler, but again today, a couple of really nice takes, putting the ball on the floor and driving all the way to the basket. And he seems just a little bit more in control. And, and that is probably coming with experience. We know uh, early in the seasons, uh, he just looked a little bit rushed. I thought at times he would make a really good first move and then uh, just not be able to finish. And, and probably it was just, uh, you know, still catching up with the speed of the NBA game. I, I think that that uh, is to be expected. But there's no doubt. I mean, you mentioned the, the trio with, with George Hill, uh, Marvin Williams and Dante, and you throw Bledsoe in there. I mean, you see in a situation like tonight where the Bucks needed to foul, they needed a turnover. Uh, having those three in there together, uh, I mean, they, they can make some stuff happen. And we saw that when Pat Connaughton was able to intercept uh, the inbound pass. And while it was unlikely the Bucs were going to be able to get back into the game, Dante uh, and, and that crew made things happen. And I think in the playoffs, when turnovers can be so critical to your, to your chances of, of winning a game and your ability to, to take the ball away and turn that, uh, turn that into transition uh, opportunities, I, I think is going to be huge. And he's just a, a guy that, that creates those chances. And it was interesting to me. I, I, I just want to bring this up because it, 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 it's really frustrating and it, and it makes no sense. We saw the play uh, in the fourth quarter where Marvin Williams stripped 
uh, Devin Booker, I believe it was, going to the basket. Uh, Booker lost the ball, sort of just just flung his hands in the air as if he was fouled, as like every player does these days. And, and the official bought it, blew the whistle, but immediately challenged because Marvin Williams, you don't see him often too emotional out on the court, but he was, he was adamant that it wasn't a foul. Now, it wasn't. But the problem with the challenge system for mine and why it makes no sense is the fact that that was just a clearly a, a bad call and if the whistle wasn't blown, the Bucks are away in transition and they give themselves a really good opportunity to score. But at the least, they have possession. Now, after the coach's challenge, uh, that was overturned, which should result in the Bucks in, in something being in, in the Bucks' favor. They just have a jump ball at, at center court where either team can choose who they want to be in the jump ball. So it's not even the player that was involved in the play, Devin Booker. It was Aaron Baines, I believe, that went to the jump ball. The Suns get the ball. I, I just, I, I know we've spoken about the challenge system a lot, but I, I think today was a prime example of why it's just not really working and it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I mean, in the NFL, you know, obviously the way that they have sort of adapted is like if there's a fumble, like they're much more likely to... Or, let it or like play a, out. A, Yeah, exactly. They'll let yeah. it play out and then review it and then and then reverse it. Well, the problem is the NBA system doesn't allow that, right? Like they can't just let a play go, allow a steal, and then look at it and reverse it and say, oh, no, it was a foul, right? Like you can't challenge those plays. Um, and, and besides that, I mean, again, you know, in the, in the NFL, you know, every turnover is, is a touchdown or automatically reviewed, right? So you have like a degree of um, keeping the system honest, whereas in the NBA, obviously – very different system, very different sport. So it's kind of hard to compare apples to apples. But, um, you know, you get one challenge and you got to use a timeout for it. And so coaches don't even typically want to use them until the fourth quarter, right? Just to kind of save them for, you know, a potential like really game changing play. I mean, that's why for me, especially if you're Bud and you have Giannis who gets, you know, a lot of charges um, and has foul trouble, you know, I, I view it as the, the best thing you can challenge are those block charge plays because, like we saw in that early game in Minnesota, right? Giannis comes down the floor at the end of the half, has an incredible finish, which like I remember being really scared that he <laughs> yeah, should right, have right. gotten injured on that play. Um, he finishes it. It's called a charge. And, you know, okay, so it's, it looks like it's a turnover and a foul on Giannis. Instead, you challenge it. You get it reversed. You get an and one. <laughs> and it's, you know, you, you, you get that full swing, whereas you're 100% right on these other plays. You know, on most of these plays, you end up going from, you know, a foul or something to a like jump ball, right? Or, or a non-foul to like a jump ball. So the best you can do is literally a jump ball. Um, and again, in some situations, that's valuable, right? If it's you know, in the penalty or it's a shooting foul uh, and you prevent a team from getting you know, late free throws, of course, that can be very valuable. But um, this is why I think a lot of, you know, questionable calls don't get challenged because, you know, it's earlier in the game. And if the difference is two free throws versus a jump ball, I mean, unless it's a really critical foul on a player, like a star player picking up an actual foul, you know, coaches just aren't generally going to view it as, as something to prioritize. So um, I, I don't know. I think the fact that you lose the timeout, um, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do with it um, because I, I just – I feel like the NFL system is pretty good. Um, but in the NBA, I'm, I'm just not sure – I'm not sure we'll ever get to a system that we really like um, because I think there's also like too many blind spots, like, you know, goal tens um, and there's just a lot of the calls like, you know, where there's no call, you can't review kind of the no calls late and even late in the game. Um, and again, there, I know there are reasons for that, but it, it's just, 
it's just destined to give us situations where we'll say, wait a minute, that, that should be where you challenge, right? Like a missed call late in the game or something like that. And ultimately they're just holes in the replay system. So um, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's just, it's just a tough sport, I think, to use replay. Um, and obviously it was already being used in certain circumstances, you know, late in, at the end of games. Um, and with the challenge system, I just, I don't know. I just don't know if it's really, I don't know. I don't know if it adds a whole lot. Um, but, uh, anyway, um, can I, can I ask you a, uh, a very sports talk radio question, which I should, we should probably have more <laughs> of these discussions, but let me, let me try something out on you. I was kind of alluding to it earlier. So. In the first half of this game, I, you know, Bucks were down as many as twenty-five. I mean, again, I didn't think it was impossible for the Bucks to come back, but I really just don't. When the Bucks are down a ton, I just don't really have really much confidence that they that they will come back. I feel like we have not seen them do that. You know, opening night in Houston is maybe the biggest aberration. They were down big double digits in the first half. They're down nine going into the fourth quarter, and they end up coming back to win that game by six. But for the most part, you know, I, I put it to my Twitter followers because I was like, I literally couldn't remember a legit comeback. Um, and, you know, uh, Dario Melendez tweeted at me, well, the Washington game, and I said, they were up 13 going the fourth quarter. Like, that's not yeah. a comeback, even if they were losing, right? I, I, I was thinking more of games where you're down 10 going into the fourth quarter and you pull it out, or you're down 15 going into the third quarter and, you know, you do one of those Warriors, you know, vintage Warrior games where you just blow a team out in the third quarter and you come back, right? I mean, to the Bucks' credit, they haven't needed to do that. But it just seems like these games the Bucks lose inevitably are games where it just feels like they go down and then they just kind of, I, I don't know, I don't, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. But I think part of the issue, which, you know, I mentioned the two shots by Giannis and Bledsoe in the uh, fourth quarter in L.A., um, I think there's some examples tonight as well. It, it does. It just doesn't seem like they necessarily. Um, it, it seems like they they take the same like like just some of the like like the Bledsoe shots, for instance. Like that's okay when you're up eight in the second quarter at home against you know Indiana, right? Just taking a pull up three or whatever, like let it fly, blah blah blah. But it just feels like they don't play smarter at times when they're losing and then other times like I think back to that Denver game that they lost at home it feels like they sometimes like it's almost like they're so surprised to be losing that like there's almost some panic and they rush a little bit and they try to I don't know like they don't play with necessarily a degree of patience and deliberateness that that maybe would make more sense and again I get it like you know if you're down a lot if you want to on some level you do want to just get up threes a lot but you know, that, that's one thing if it's the last two minutes. It's another thing if it's, you know, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter or something like that when you still have a lot of time. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, again, I realize this may come across as sort of concern trolling. Um, the like, oh, do the Bucks? Ugh, they don't have any experience coming back from big deficits or whatever, right? I mean, again, the, the best teams are not going to face those types of deficits. But, um, you know, again, like we talk about, you know, signature wins and teams kind of going through stuff and, you know, proving that they can do things. And obviously I think the Bucks did have, they did have some comebacks like that last year, I think, but for the most part, you know, that really hasn't sort of been what they've had to do. And I do kind of wonder, you know, I don't know. I, I worry a little bit that, you know, they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily have the mindset. Maybe, maybe that's the best way to put it. Like the mindset to play a little bit differently when you need to come back 
uh, and beat a team. And I don't know. And, and you could say, well, let it fly should be the perfect ethos to come back in, in a game, right? But I think then there are also situations where, like in that Laker game late, or, or even in this game where you were down six, you, you really got to value possessions. And I thought in this game as well, they just had some sloppy play when they had an outside chance of actually coming back. And, and again, I think that's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily like a complete coincidence that they have been a team that when they're having a bad night, they, they don't really necessarily always figure out a way to, or ever really to kind of fight through it and, and overcome it and come back. So I don't know. I just, I just threw out a lot of, you know, um, hashtag pessimist Frank um, <laughs> at you, but I don't know what, what's, what's your view. I mean, is there something to this, do you think, or, is it just, again, trying to find things to complain about in a season that, you know, is just otherwise been going so, so perfectly? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think that because things have, have gone so well, that any, any type of minor deficiency or weakness that you can find just naturally tends to be amplified a little bit. And if I think about this team and comeback sort of wins that they've had, I mean, as you sort of pointed to, the reality is when you're winning almost every single night, you're not often in those situations. A couple of games that I, that I can sort of think of, it's not the fourth quarter comeback that you're talking about, but uh, you know, that, that game in Toronto a couple of weeks ago, I mean, they were down double digits and it was only the second quarter and there was so much game to be yeah, played. Yeah. But their ability to sort of bounce back on the road uh, there in, in a really tough building to play in a building that, that does not hold good memories for them, I thought was was pretty impressive. Obviously, the Houston one that you mentioned. And then, uh, you know, they, what, they didn't win the game, but they, they obviously had a pretty uh, big comeback uh, against the Pacers that, that ultimately fell short uh, in that game where they also didn't have Giannis. But I, I, I thought that, um, you know, for the most part today, you know, on the front end of a back-to-back, I, I know that they didn't win, but they were down 25. And uh, their ability to, to keep taking hits from the Suns because I thought that was the thing that was noticeable uh, all the way through the Bucks kept on making a push and you're like okay now now's the time where the, where the Suns are going to fall apart but they just keep uh they just kept on landing blow after blow after blow every time the Bucks tried to make a run and so you know I, I do think at times this Bucks team has shown a pretty good ability to to stick with it on nights where they could easily just throw in the towel and give up now uh, that's not exactly uh, what you're talking about because uh, in a lot of those games they've ended up losing so ultimately it's not the result that you want but I, I do think that this team has shown a, a nature or an ability to to keep fighting through through games when things aren't going their way I mean we even saw this on, on Christmas Day even though uh, you know it was essentially garbage time but the Bucks somehow were able to make a run and I, I think that that is one of the strengths of this team and the depth that they have is that everyone's really hungry and even when they go to those to those bench units, uh, they're generally playing full throttle, and I think that that it is something that sets this team apart from others. But certainly, just the fact that they haven't been in those situations. If I if I think about the Bucks potentially, you know, being down double digits in, late in the third quarter or at the start of the fourth, like, do I think that the Bucks necessarily are going to come back a win against a really really good team in the playoffs? Probably not. But I also think just just naturally, you probably that's that's probably how you're feeling if you're in that situation in any game, really, with any team. Yeah, and I think um, you know as I look back over the last week because I was out traveling a, a bunch. Um, you know, Miami game outlier shooting performance by Miami, really horrendous shooting from the Bucks. So again, not to act like oh it nullifies a loss or something like that, but you know as far as you know, am I afraid of Miami or feel like the Bucks can't beat Miami because of that? No, right. Um, 
I think this game again, you know, Giannis isn't playing. So immediately, whatever, like I'm, I'm not going to take too much from that. Um, the Laker game, I said, just cause I didn't have a chance to talk about it with you. Um, I mean, I think the, my biggest concern about the Laker game was, you know, LA did not shoot well from three, not that the bucks were great. Bucks also shot poorly, but better than the Lakers. And, you know, it's rare. I mean, I, I'm not sure the Buck. I don't know if there's been any team that shot as poorly as the Lakers. Probably not, right, that actually beat the Bucks this season. Um, and so I think that is, you know, kind of goes against the grain a little bit. And we saw, um, you know, Davis and LeBron be able to attack the Bucks in the post one-on-one and just use their, their skills. And even going at Giannis um, kind of exposed some of his limitations defensively and just given how good the guys are so um i would say in you know the grand scheme of the past week you know what kind of scares me makes me nervous etc um you know certainly middleton finding his stroke again tonight obviously he did play well against indiana as well um is encouraging Bledsoe playing better again tonight encouraging although you know Bledsoe's history you just worry obviously that that there is you know that the lingering concerns you have about him not showing up or being able to impact big games the way you want to. I think certainly the LA game didn't, didn't uh, do anything to dissuade us from that. Um, but, but yeah, I think that, again, like uh, again, everybody should be prepared for the narratives this week um, about LeBron as, as, you know, making his MVP comeback move um, and the Lakers as, you know, the, the favorites for the title or whatever, which I, I don't really particularly care about at all. I I'm, I'm actually probably more in the camp of I'm, very happy for the Bucks to be considered underdogs by the national media to, to some extent. Um, I don't think anybody has them as underdogs in the East at this point, but, um, but anyway, it's, it's just one of those things. I mean, you know, I, I'm probably going to shy away from some of the usual NBA podcasts I, I listened to this week. And again, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how things go. And, and obviously you just hope that the Bucks can pull something out of, uh, out of their hats in Denver uh, on Monday night. And then you hope obviously that Giannis is uh who knows? Maybe good to go by by Thursday night. Obviously, would be would be great to have him back as soon as possible. But flip side, obviously, you also you know no one's going to suggest taking any chances with Giannis either, given given the big picture of everything. Yeah, no question. So, Bucks Nuggets tonight, eight p.m. Uh, the last game on the road trip before Milwaukee will come home for that game I'm, uh, against Boston at serve on Thursday night. And then, as you mentioned earlier, the game against the Warriors and uh, probably Steph Curry, which will be fun to see him uh, playing at Fiserv. Uh, maybe maybe not as fun to see him playing if the Bucks are, are right in a, a four-game losing streak. But we'll get to that one as it comes. But uh, we can wrap it up here. And before I do... While I, I think that we would be uh, obviously incredibly biased, I would say that this is the best podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, but there are plenty of others that you can listen to. So after you finish this one, if you tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, check that one out. It's one of the uh, signature podcasts on the network. And obviously, Nate Duncan was on the pod uh, last week, friend of yours, Frank. He said to say hello. Uh, but uh, that was a fun chat, by the way. There was some more bigger picture stuff that we spoke about when it comes to uh, the Lakers and, and any potential Bucks lakers final series. So if you missed that one, uh, you can go back and listen to that also. But for now, for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll be back tomorrow.